Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Okay, welcome to episode 120 of the Agents of Innovation podcast. I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez. We are located here today at Strikes Cigar Lounge in Boca Raton, Florida. Um, But that's not where my current guest is from. He's actually visiting us here today. And my current guest is Ronak Patel. Ronak, welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you here in South Florida. I see you more often than not in Florida than anywhere else, even though you're from the great state of Pennsylvania. Yeah. Well, Ronak, I want to first start this off by reminding our listeners that if they are just listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any of the other hundreds of podcasting platforms out there, they can also watch this podcast on YouTube. We're video recording this today. And so if you go to YouTube and just put in the search bar, Agents of Innovation Podcast, you'll find us. This is now episode 120. And no matter where you're watching or listening, if you could uh, hit the like button, if you could subscribe to the podcast, and also make some comments. We'd love to hear what you think about this episode. So uh, definitely comment on any of those platforms. If you're on Apple, you know, rate and review us five stars only, please, right? Yeah. And uh, and then let us know, and th- that'll really help the podcast have more reach, so that the stories of people like Ronak Patel that you're about to hear will reach more listeners and viewers as well. And of course, if you like what you hear, share it with a friend, a family member, uh, somebody, so that way more people are getting this. You know, all these. Um, Rodak, we live now in these amazing digital times, and we're going to talk about that because yeah. this man is the the owner of what is the name of your company again? Patel Digital. Patel Digital, yeah. and so he is very familiar with the fact that uh, we live in such digital times. It's so easy to pull your phone out and and share uh, this through the podcast platforms through YouTube. Just share it on a text message or whatever. Uh, so it's very great, and that really helps us reach more people. So Rodak Patel. The uh, first of all, uh, he's an American entrepreneur and activist, and as he mentioned, the founder of Patel Digital and Innovation Publishing. Yeah. Um, he has met all sorts of people, members of Congress, governors, the Vice President of the United States, uh, all sorts of public figures, and he has a book that he published in 2021 at the ripe age of 21 years old. I'm holding it here. It's called Generation Startup become the CEO of your life. And you know what, when you hear of a 21 year old writing a book, you're like, I mean, what do they really know about being the CEO of their life, right? (laughs) But let me tell you, I actually read this book this week and it is fantastic. And many of you might know, I published a book. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Rodak, a little bit thicker. Super awesome, yeah. Uh, This is just years of life and gray hairs (laughs) and everything. Uh, So, uh, but uh, the American dream is a terrible thing to waste. So if you um, if you don't have either of these books, these are these are great books to get. Um, and uh, and this, if you're a listener to the podcast, uh, 100's Agents of Innovation Share Their Fearless Journeys in Today's Economy. That's the subtitle of my book that's out. So 45 different people who have been on this podcast are in this book, and we are continuing the journey and continuing to tell people's stories, including Ronak Patel here today. So Ronak. What's interesting is uh, you're 23 now, mm-hmm. 
You're an entrepreneur. Yeah. We're going to get into the fact that you just got into medical school. Yeah. So congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. So we're going to get into all this with your story. But what's really amazing to me is, you know, I wrote this book with the words, the American dream is a terrible thing to waste. And I think when you hear Ronak's story, you're going to understand that this man has not wasted his time or the maybe time of his parents who actually uh, came here as immigrants from India. Yeah. Neither one of them knew each other, right? And came here. Mm-hmm. So uh, Ronak, tell me a little bit about your parents' story, where they came from, where they landed, yeah. how they met, and uh, and what their early uh, times like were here in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, both of my parents are from India. They immigrated to the U.S. in the late 90s, and um, they got married in New York, and um, that's where they met each other in the New York, Jersey area. And they both started out working at um, Dunkin' Donuts, minimum wage jobs. Um, I love me I, some Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, yeah, they were they were working 14-hour shifts every day, just hustling. Um, and after they got married, they eventually saved up to buy their first subway in New Jersey. They ended up selling that and um, moving to Pennsylvania where they found other business opportunities. They bought their first subway in Pennsylvania in 2007. And then they um, expanded from there. And now they own uh, multiple businesses and franchises in the food and beverage space. Wow. So it's funny. Uh, I feel like Ronak... uh Stereotypical. Yeah, sense, very, right? very. Indian uh, immigrants who come here and and work at places like Dunkin' Donuts, Subway, absolutely, all these types of places. But then they didn't just work there. Uh, and you were telling me they worked minimum wage jobs. What was this in like the nineteen nineties? Yeah. And and then they. Um, by the way, people, um, minimum wage jobs in the nineteen nineties were like you know about five bucks an hour. Uh, maybe I don't know yeah, if they were in New Jersey. That's what they were in Florida pretty similar it was probably around there yeah so uh so they came here um they what a path to get to the united states they they left family behind oh yeah they were how old um i think that they were like late teens early 20s so very young like you know think about you know you being in college and leaving your country and you know all your family and friends yeah and um so they came here, they, they landed mostly in New Jersey and New York, yeah. eventually uh, moved over to Pennsylvania. What I like about their story too is they opened up a, a Subway franchise or ran, I don't know if they opened mm. it up, but they ran yeah. a Subway franchise in New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, what, what was the problem in New Jersey? Yeah, so um, they basically broke even. It wasn't as profitable as they thought um, it would be. And uh, so they had to sell it. They broke even, like I said, and to look for um, better business opportunities. Um, they looked at neighboring states and they ended up in Pennsylvania. Yeah, so they ended up in Pennsylvania where they then opened another Subway franchise. Yeah. And then how many more did they open? And, and tell me about all the things they own today. Yeah, so they own um, you know four other Subways. They own a Sonico gas station wow. and some other investments. And so what's interesting uh, a little bit about their story too is they went from being the people who worked in maybe the most entry-level position 
in places like Dunkin' Donuts, making minimum wage yeah. just you know twenty five or so years ago. Yeah. And today, they now they then then they went through the steps of you know maybe making a, a, into a management position and a franchise yeah. owner, uh, a franchise that that was not successful. They closed it. They moved to another state. Opened the franchise of the same company, Subway, and which you know those franchises offer people a lot of opportunities. And Subway uh, restaurants are everywhere. Right. right. I mean, they're even in gas stations yeah. now, right? And so, um, I really like that they did all that, and now they own four. They own a gas station. Yeah. They, they have literally other, started from the bottom. I mean, yeah. They're doing very well now, yeah. and 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 they have two incredible sons. Their eldest is right here. And, and let me tell you a little bit, I mean, tell us, so Ronak, I'm going to go back and ask you a question. You sure. What was your first job in life? So my first job was, uh, yeah, I, I was 16 years old and I worked at my parents' subway for about three months over the summer. Well, so shocker, right? <laughs> yeah. His first job was, uh, was subway. What's your favorite subway sub? Uh, the veggie delight. The veggie delight. I, I always liked the Italian cold cut combo. Yeah. Although sometimes I, I vary that's a popular up. one. Yeah. So uh, sometimes sometimes I don't have that one anymore, and so I go yeah. with the uh, the other Italian, the Italian BMT. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. I was actually just in a subway. Sorry, this is going to turn into a commercial for subway. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I was just one off the Yeehaw Junction. Yeah. In, in all right off the Florida Turnpike, and th- is this something new? Like I was like I, I go I go to subways once in a while, but not all the time. But they had like. These like premium sub- there was like ten new premium subs that I'd never heard of, so maybe it's an experiment off the yeah. Utah Junction. I don't even uh, know. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, I was like, okay, I guess I'll go yeah. with that one. Yeah, um, but anyway, uh, so that's great. So that was your first job. Uh, how? What were your ages? If you're, if you're allowed to tell me, I don't. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, don't I was just... um I was 16 years old at the time. I mean. Prior to that, I would help my dad with like paperwork and whatnot. Um, I would shadow him. I would count money for him and whatnot. But um, this was like my first like real job. Yeah. So uh, I just uh, want to go back to that as well because I'm I was reading in your book that in the eighth grade, yeah, this man started a LinkedIn profile, <laughs> a LinkedIn page, and uh, you know, there's a lot of college students today that I know, and even some just out of college. Yeah. That like don't even have a LinkedIn page yet, which yeah, they should. Like they, everybody, they should probably that. teach a course just on that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because people kind of go back and forth on whether like LinkedIn, what you need. But I've always found, um, particularly in the last five or six years, that it's really great to connect with people professionally on. You I know, agree. Like, there's people maybe you don't necessarily want to be Facebook friends or follow them on Twitter or even Instagram, or Instagram yeah. or whatever. But you're like, hey, you know, like LinkedIn is like the professional place where there's. There's not as much of the political bickering going on or anything like that. There's not as much of, of all that. It's just like people doing what they do in their businesses and maybe sharing what some yeah. of their businesses are doing. But more to me, it's it's almost like a, a modern-day Rolodex. Yeah, no. I think it's one of the best tools that people can use, and I would recommend that everyone start one. Um, I actually use LinkedIn to find my first client for – my uh, social media marketing company that I would later start uh, my senior year of high school. That's awesome. Was that your, f- I, I'm trying to keep up because yeah, yeah, by the way, yeah. when you read this man's book, uh, it's, there's so many little entrepreneurial uh, things that he did. 
little and big. Yeah. And and so what was the was that the first one? What was the first thing you did? Okay, so from the an entrepreneurial perspective. And how old were you? Yeah. So the first real, I've. I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur probably late middle school, early high school. And when I was cert- well, when I was 16 working at Subway, I knew I didn't want to work a minimum wage job. I knew I didn't want to be making sandwiches. So um, I knew that I could do more with my time. And uh, um, that's why I, I only worked there for a couple months. But um, so what I did, I knew that... S- Social market, social media marketing was becoming a big thing. Um, Instagram was just taking off, and this was actually before um, Instagram ads became a thing. I originally made a page uh, wanting to create just like a normal content page, but I actually ended up uh, meeting a influencer with like over like a million followers, and he had all these followers, but he didn't know how to monetize them. So basically what I did was I connected him with a bunch of small businesses on Instagram and I would take a commission from the marketing costs. And because Instagram ads didn't exist at the time, I was fulfilling a need in the market. That's awesome. Well, so they didn't exist. And then tell me, where did that end up for you like how how long did that particular job last and what skill sets did you build that maybe helped you for your next yeah um i did that for about a year and i think the biggest thing i learned were like sales skills customer service skills because um i was reaching out to business owners all over the world really i mean i was dealing with people in europe and australia I was getting euros in my PayPal. I was oh, getting wow. dollars. Yeah, I was getting all kinds of currency. And uh, yeah, I was getting it all to my PayPal account. Um, I was actually too young to open up a bank account on my own. So I had to go in and open up a bank account with my dad and then connect that PayPal account to that uh, bank account. Wow. But uh, yeah, I think sales is a really big thing I learned there. And then when I was 18, my senior year of high school, I uh, heard of people starting like these different types of marketing agencies. And I knew that from my background with Instagram specifically, I could offer that as a service. So I reached out to one of my classmates' dad that ran a pretty pretty big uh, manufacturing company. They manufacture... um, hats and t-shirts and apparels with um, college logos and whatnot on it. It's called uh, Legacy and they merged with another company called League. But um, anyway, I messaged the CEO on LinkedIn. He invites me to do a presentation in front of, it's like the vice president of uh, marketing, the art director, couple social media people and the CEO. So. This is like my my first sort of professional pitch, and um, it was March of 2018. I was a senior in high school, and uh, yeah, I was able to get that deal and do um, consulting for that company. And then through that, um, I I still wasn't happy with um, what I was getting out for the time I was putting in, 
and I didn't necessarily um, enjoy the nuances of like managing, you know, doing the day-to-day work of managing pages. So um, I knew that e-commerce was also a booming thing at the time. Um, there was another young entrepreneur back then that like made a, over a million dollars selling uh, fidget uh, spinners online. And I knew that e-commerce was becoming a big thing. So later that summer, um, about June of 2018, I launched my e-commerce store with a partner from high school. Um, and we sold things like, you know, uh, merchandise. We bought things from China and then sold them from like Alibaba and whatnot. And I didn't know this, but later that same summer, I was able to offer e-commerce building services to another entrepreneur in the local area. So, um, I made some profit from the e-commerce store, but the real value was, um, actually learning, build, building that e-commerce store. And I would later offer that to a variety of companies, political campaigns and whatnot. That's awesome. I think you're, that's a real testament in, in what, you know, some might call learning by doing and yeah. testing and experimenting. And I think that's one thing that's kind of lost on a lot of people in that you could have seen that entrepreneurial pursuit you did, the first one where you managed Instagram pages. Mm-hmm. And it didn't, like you said, it was it didn't see, it was fine, but it wasn't really worth your time for what you made um, and maybe the time you wanted to put into it and maybe what you're interested in doing. And, exactly. and you kind of learn, okay, this isn't exactly what, but you, I built this, I, I found through doing this, I found this other way to make some money, uh, yeah. building an e-commerce site. Yeah. And while that was good for me and my business partner, my friend, right, mm-hmm. uh, at the time, is what you said, uh, what you really found was the value of being able to, to know how to do that so that now people that had businesses that were selling a lot more merchandise yeah. or a lot more products, yeah. they now could employ you. You're yeah. walking into their business yeah. and you are now the engine that's going to get them to sell things and now you are a valuable commodity to them. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that's a really cool thing that along the path of entrepreneurship, as you're testing and doing things and maybe things are side hustles, yeah. you start to find what you what maybe doesn't work, but also some things that you never even knew about had yeah. you not pursued the thing you were doing. Yeah. And so I think that's really cool. So, I mean, one thing I've seen on this podcast, I mentioned it, you know, in my book that I'm going to keep promoting, uh, The American <laughs> Dream is Terrible yeah. Thing to Waste. Um, I have a whole section in there, 10 common characteristics of the entrepreneur. And one of them is, is that entrepreneurs learn by doing. That Absolutely. is a consistent theme I have seen. And we're, we're witnessing it right here in your story. Yeah. And you just, what's amazing when I want, when, then when I'm reading your book, uh, Generation Startup, I'm thinking, wow, uh, like I'm just reading all your little stories and you just see the connections. What's interesting is you see the connections later. Absolutely, right? yeah. You, didn't, you couldn't write this story forward. No, you you're can't. looking at it from uh, today's perspective Absolutely. and saying, "Oh, this led me to this, and this led me to this." And I think yeah, you we can never know until things. you actually do it. Yeah, yeah, we can all think about things in our own life that, oh, you know, like, or maybe it was just simply it, while in the midst of doing something, you met somebody important, like. This has happened to you several times. Yeah, absolutely. Right? You've met many different people across 
the the way that that helped maybe they they hired you for something or they helped Absolutely. make you a connection with somebody else you know all these sorts of things so I think that's a, a really cool thing about about your story here um, the other thing uh, that I want to mention is uh, you are somebody who is very very good at building relationships people say that about me too, I appreciate that thank right? you but uh, I think you but are for too. somebody yeah. who's 23, yeah. it's even more remarkable. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate um, it. <laughs> and so it's funny. Um, you have a great chapter in here about building relationships. And uh, I have to read one line to the audience here because he's talking about mm -hmm. in 2020 flying down to Orlando, where I was living at the time, uh, to attend a fundraiser for a young congressional candidate he supported. <laughs> I won't mention the name, but the person's been on my podcast before. So you can figure that one out. And um, anyway, me and another friend of mine uh, had actually co-hosted this fundraiser. And Ronak comes down from Pennsylvania with another friend of his mm -hmm. to attend. And he mentions this in here. And then he says, months later, I attended another conference in Orlando. Before the conference, I messaged two individuals from the fundraiser to set up informal meetings with them. One of these individuals was a fantastic connector <laughs> who was able to invite me to a private event. <laughs> where I met public figures and network with other potential clients. And I was reading this this week, and I was going, is he talking about me? <laughs> and I don't mean to brag yeah. on myself, but he's the one that said it. No, uh, I was talking about And then you. he also <laughs> talks about another friend of ours, another gentleman from the fundraiser, happened to be a healthcare entrepreneur that owned multiple pharmacies throughout Florida. Some of us know who that is. So anyway, um, <laughs> that's pretty. that wasn't me. Uh, but anyway, so uh, that's pretty funny. But... That's I read the reason I actually read that is that's the context that I met Ronak. I met him at this political fundraiser mm -hmm. in Florida. He came down because you know one he wanted to meet the candidate who was running. Uh, he had a friend that came with him. He wanted to meet some people there. He met some people there. He met me yeah, amongst met many people. other people. And then months later, there was another event going on in Orlando, a conference, and you meet me and you meet all these other people at that event. But it's funny because that. Week, I, I literally only met you one time before then, I think, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and we were actually doing a private event at a friend's house of mine. So we had like a list of people. He wasn't on that list. I want to say that yeah. because I didn't know you. Yeah. And you'd be on that list today. Yeah. Sure. Uh, but a mutual friend of ours invited you to hang out and meet up with us one evening that week before mm -hmm. the private event. And, and then that person actually suggested to me, you know, maybe we should invite him to the little thing we're doing at the private house. <laughs> I said, all right, yeah, let's, 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 I don't know. It's not my house. And, you know, like, like let's, let's, let's see. Let's evaluate. Yeah. But then he was such a cool guy and got to really spend some time well, with him. I appreciate I said, that. Hey, come, yeah, to yeah. Event, come to the event. Right? Yeah, I remember that. And, but but what's, what, what I really like about your, your chapter on uh, fun, on uh, relationship building is, you can talk about, I really like what you talked about, how sometimes people go to networking events just to network or mm -hmm. just for transactional reasons. Yeah. Um, tell me, so I'm going to have the first question, then okay. I'll come back to it. Sure. First question is networking events mm -hmm. versus the kind of events you go to where you actually network. Can you Great explain question. that to people? Yeah, absolutely. So like when, when people think about networking, um, sometimes they think of like, um, events where they're forced to network or like it's meant for networking where you have a bunch of you know insurance finance and you know mid-level law executives just you know passing around business cards to each other because those are the only people that are there yeah and then the networking that I do I 
actually don't really um, go to events that are marketed at as networking events. I just go to events that are industry specific to industries I care about. Like maybe it's politics, maybe it's technology, maybe it's healthcare, um, maybe it's a political or nonprofit cause I care about. Maybe it's a physical activity cause that I care about. Um, one of my first clients for my web development company that same summer of 2018, I met the one guy at the gym. So it's like, um, the point that I'm trying to make is that um, networking is about building relationships with people and you build genuine relationships when you um, connect with people that have like-minded interests as you. It's not so much as, oh, like, I want this from this person. It's more so, I want to be around these people. I want to work with these people. I think like these people. And I think we can add value to each other. And I think those relationships lead to um, good and purposeful professional and personal relationships. Yeah, I think that could not be said any better. And uh, because a lot of times, especially if you're a young professional or something, right, you're constantly being marketed to with come to this, and they specifically say networking event. Yeah. And... And, and so that those tend to be very transactional events. Honestly, I think they attract transactional people or people that come with a transactional mindset. Yeah. And like, do you really think that influential people are going to go to those events? Right. No, you're more likely to meet influential people at like a nonprofit fundraiser, political fundraiser, a cause that they really care about that you can also connect with them on. Yeah, I mean, and to be honest with you, the, the story of this podcast, I, I didn't meet, you know, I just started meeting interesting people by the things I was involved with. Yeah. The things, the work I was doing, I think the nonprofit policy organizations I worked for, I would meet donors to those organizations. Absolutely, I would meet exactly. people who came to, you know, uh, music events I liked, right? Like other nonprofit charity events I might have attended, things yeah. I was involved with. I, you know, I think anything you have interest in, like I'm a tennis player. Right. There's anywhere you go. Exactly. You're involved like a tennis community, right? Like, great examples. Yeah. You know, um, I got to give a shout out my friend, uh, my friend Dan Lesniak, mm -hmm. who's a uh, a big a big time real estate guy, real estate coach, and everything. He has a great podcast too. He's been on this podcast actually, but uh, Hyper Fast Agent is his podcast, and I listen to a lot of the stories of different realtors, real estate agents, and it's funny you hear some of these people. Um, they actually say, like, I remember hearing one guy, I don't remember his name, but he was like, hey, I like golf. Um, I'm, I want to be the real estate agent for anybody at my golf club, yeah. right? And, and by I the way, that. he's I building the relationships with people first through golf. He's probably going to build those relationships regardless of getting any business. Because like you said, the people there at the golf club have a like-minded interest yeah. with him, golf. They might talk about watching And he golf. enjoys it. Yeah, yeah, they enjoy it. It's just, that's the environment you're in. So why not be the real estate agent for those people? When they Absolutely. are looking to buy or sell a home, they know, oh, hey, that guy, Dan, or yeah. whoever, right? He's the real estate agent. Let me go talk to him. So you make yourself well-known um, in the communities. Maybe it's a church community. You know, whatever it is, uh, whatever people are involved with. And so that's, that's what you do. And you've been involved, you know, you've been involved in a lot of political and policy things. Uh, that's how we kind of connected. Mm -hmm. 
And and so uh, anyway, really great. But you 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 do all these entrepreneurial things. So I you I think you mentioned this in your book. You started going to these events just because you had an interest in learning more about public policy. Right. Exactly. Maybe supporting political candidates. And while you were there, you were like, oh, these people need websites. Right. Exactly. These people need something to manage their social media pages. Exactly. And well, they know me. So why are they gonna like listen like? Why are they gonna hire some person they don't know who yeah. just came why in they to know talk about exactly. websites or something, right? You're exactly. the one hanging around the conference yeah. all the time that knows everything. Yeah. Business is about people and people are everywhere. So be around the people that you wanna be around. Also, you make it a very important point in this in this chapter on relationship building. We should all be asking ourselves how can we add value to other people? Absolutely. The value add might benefit us financially it might benefit us with business but that's not the number one reason to add value to people it's the simple good thing to do to add right. value to people it could be Ronak it could be that I was sitting there uh, uh, hanging out with you in Orlando and we already have 50 people coming to this private house party but I see some potential in a young person and I say Hey, you know what? There's a lot of people in the room we're going to be in tomorrow night that you would really, you know, uh, it would be an added value to you yeah. to meet. So and maybe, it was. maybe that's just a small way like somebody can do that for other Absolutely. people, right? And then you're like, hey, you know, like you're you, maybe there's ways you're adding value to me that I, you know, I'm not expecting, but like you're like you, you know. By the way, I could I could just say my friend John Crossman, right? Like he and I talk. We're really good at relationship building. We we had a really great. Um, Relationship. We, he's been on the podcast many years ago. He's in the book, uh, but he's had me on his podcast, right? Right. So it was like I made the invitation to him like five years ago. He didn't have a podcast. I wasn't like angling to be on his podcast. Now I did go see him because I wanted him to be a donor to my organization. Okay. But we talked about this on his podcast when I when 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 he was there. He was very honest with me and said, "Look, I got a lot of people walking through my door." I don't want to just be a check writer. If you want me involved in your organization, I want to add value in other ways too. So show me how I can add value rather than just writing a check. Well, I did, and I kept him up to date, and cool. I did, and he ended up writing checks too. But uh, we we saw that hey, he had a, he had some skills and things he could come to conferences and talk about and share with us. So he that was a way we kind of both added value to each other. Um, but I think that's really important. You got to be genuine in building relationships, genuinely care about people. You articulate that very well um, in this book. And so um, as we kind of advance, Ronak, in, in your, um, so, so how did you, how did, you now run uh, Patel Digital. Yep. Tell us the broad scope of what that is, what you do on a day-to-day, -day, the type of clients you have, and okay. kind of how it got started. Absolutely, yeah. So Patel Digital, it started in 2018. Like I said, that first summer, we had three clients, um, you know, besides the social media client I was talking about. I had a local lawyer, um, an e-commerce store for a local roofing and contracting company, and then a guy um, at the gym who was launching a commercial business so those were my three clients that I got um, right before going to college and then the the following summer summer of 2019 um, I started attending these um, play, pl 
medical workshops through a nonprofit that you may know, Leadership Institute. Oh, yeah. And um, through that, I was able to get three congressional candidate clients at that one workshop. And I was just going to learn and meet people. So um, I walked away with three deals in three different states, Virginia, Tennessee, and Florida. So um, I knew I was onto something and that I should continue with the web development idea. Um, I continued to do more business development locally. Um, I started going to more and more um, events that I was just genuinely interested in, like uh, political uh policy events, nonprofit events, and, uh, um, you know, healthcare events and whatnot. So we service now uh, clients in 16 different states. Um, the primary service that we offer is web development and um, e-commerce development. Um, we do online fundraising for political candidates as well. And um, most of our clients are in the professional services industry if they're on the business end so a lot of lawyers a lot of doctors and i actually used patel digital as a way to meet more doctors and build relationships with people in the healthcare community and um i think this is something unique for my generation gen z because we're not we're actually able to add value to our mentors because we're digital natives so while they can teach us industry specific things and give us a lot of wisdom we can teach them to use tools and take advantage of um, modern digital tools because we're just simply better than they are so um yeah that's a know. really good point uh because i think i was going to ask you that too like what what can you know Gen Z and millennials and Gen Z you know yeah how how can you bring your comparative advantage to the marketplace? It sounds like this is one way to do that is hey uh, f- first of all there are things <laughs> that older people mm-hmm. and they don't have to be that much older they could be like no, 35, yeah. 45, 55. They even just, millennials they're yeah. not even they don't do this they don't know like you, you have some examples in the book about. Uh, I think it was your the one you mentioned before that your friend's dad that was at a law firm yeah, yeah. that or it was somebody anyway it was it was yeah. a, like a law firm or something and you you um they I think they were kind of like you know was this like you know high school kid coming in and yeah trying giving me a, a pitch deck on how or how they can yeah. rebuild my website yeah. and wasn't really sure what to think and then yeah. a couple of days later calls you because he yeah. had gone through all all the stuff you put together for yeah. and realized that you yeah. actually could do this pretty well. Yeah. So if I were to give advice on um, someone, you know, my age, asking how they could add value to people, I would say technology is a really good w- way to start. Um, all, all of us are digital natives, and technology can mean a wide range of things. It can be super technical stuff like coding and cybersecurity. It can be writing. It can be creating content. Um, so it can be a lot of different things. Um, explore different things that you like. And I think that's a very solid starting point for your career, because even if you don't 
end up doing that for the rest of your life, you're able to add value to other people and you'll be able to break into the industries that you see yourself going into in the future, just like I did with healthcare. Yeah, so that that's a really good point because it not only are you creating avenues to earn some income, maybe building a website or whatever for somebody, but now you're also building a relationship with exactly. people who are much more senior, much more advanced in their careers, have a much larger Rolodex, yeah. can probably introduce you to other people, and like we're about to get into, uh, there might be a reason that you're so interested in helping people in the medical field and healthcare professionals. We, we mentioned this at the top of the podcast. <laughs> uh, this young man just yesterday before yeah, our before literally. this interview yeah. um, found out some news. What was that yeah. news? I just got accepted into medical school. Fantastic. And uh, are, have you decided firmly which medical school you're going to go to? Yes. Still, okay. Yes. So um, it's a joint MD MPH program between the American University of Antigua and uh, Florida International University in Miami. So he sends me a text. I got into the American University of Antigua, which looks like Antigua. Yeah. Guatemala. It's spelled the same. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, my head's rolling. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in Guatemala, yeah. as you all know. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in Antigua. And I'm thinking, where is there an American university in Antigua? I'm, I know there's one in Guatemala City, but Antigua. And then I'm like, oh, he means Antigua. We've had this conversation before. Yeah, right. I remember you telling me, yeah. Antigua is a beautiful island in the Caribbean. Yeah. I'm going to have to come down and visit. I've never no, been. No, you will have to. And then yeah. I can say, like, I've been to Antigua. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. But that's awesome. And then it's a joint program with Florida International University. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, right down here in South Florida, yeah. Miami. In fact, uh, you mentioned right all the hospitals that they have connections to, mm -hmm. including the one I was born at, Baptist Hospital yeah. in Miami. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, FIU, by the way, is located just a see. few miles from where I was born, Baptist oh, wow. Hospital. Cool. What's also funny... Yeah, I've never been there. <laughs> another opportunity to plug the book. Yeah. <laughs> no, what's really funny is in Chapter 1... I actually say that the story of this podcast started it's in many ways at FIU. Wow. I say that because I didn't start the podcast at FIU. Yeah. I didn't walk out of FIU that day in September. Of, uh, actually, it was Constitution Day, September 17th, 2014. Mm -hmm. My friend Jesse Panuccio was giving a speech at an event sponsored by the organization I worked for at the time, the James Madison Institute. And afterwards... There's a young man that was in law school there that came up to Jesse, reminded Jesse that he, Jesse at the time was the head of the, uh, he was the director of Florida's Department of Economic Opportunity. Wow. Sort of like our labor department, but we have, we have different ways of saying things here in Florida. Yeah. Um, and so we, he, he says, hey, you met with my father and I because his father had a private plane company in Italy that they were moving mm -hmm. to Southwest Florida. And as the economic opportunity director of Florida, you know, Jesse, I guess, had toured it or something or met with them. So Jesse says, Francisco, come over here. You need to meet this young man. Davide. Davide Proietti is his name. And so we exchange information. I don't know why Jesse introduced him to me, but he had an interesting American dream story as well. He cool. was an Italian immigrant, literally himself, yeah. coming here to help his father wow. move their family business here. Very successful wow. family in Italy because they had a lot of regulatory issues in Italy that were yeah. really be making it very difficult for them to run a business anymore. So 
I didn't really know this. I met Davide. We exchanged information. I said, hey, the next time in Miami, yeah, let's meet up. Well, it was a few months later. But, you know, this is part of the relationship building. Mm -hmm. I reached out to him. He was still a law student. It wasn't like I had a development opportunity. But, you know, maybe his dad owns a private plane company. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but always like, you know, meeting interesting people. So he recommends we go to this Italian restaurant in downtown Miami that he picked out. Cool. We had a great conversation, great Italian food, great Italian wine, yeah. and I hear his entire story, and it was amazing. And I walked out of that meeting, like many other types of meetings with really interesting people, thinking, I wish more people could hear this person's story. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many times I must have said that to myself over a few years. Right. And the next day, I was driving around South Florida, and I was thinking about Davi Day's story. And I was thinking that, man, I really wish more people could hear this person's story. And as I was having that thought, I was turning on a podcast. Right. And the little light of agents right. of innovation went off in my head. And I said, maybe I could have a podcast. It's possible. Yeah. So that's chapter one. That actually is where it starts. Florida wow. International University. That's awesome. And, um, I, and I really, one thing I want to get back to with you related to Dobby Day is this mindset of opportunity that... I like to dub, and many people like to dub, the immigrant mindset. Mm -hmm. And I say that in that I try to help people through the Fearless Journeys community, through this podcast, in building an entrepreneurial mindset. But the yeah. more immigrants I meet, and the more immigrant stories I hear, like that of your parents, like Dobby Day, like, you know, and people, and we in, in the U.S., a lot of us Americans who have been here, like my dad's an immigrant, but a lot of us who have been here oh, for... Wow. I didn't for know that. a while, my dad's from Cuba. Wow, um, you know we, you know we, we live in a much more com we are born into a much more comfortable society. Mm -hmm. Now there are definitely many people born here that are not growing up in comfortable situations. Of course, for sure. But uh, we have a lot of things here in the United States that we maybe take for granted. Even many people like myself who might complain about. You know, government intervention, government regulation, you know, all these things. Maybe we're losing some of our freedoms and mm -hmm. liberties. And, you know, we, we, com we complain about some of these things. But the immigrant walks into this country and, to me, for many, just sees nothing but opportunity. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about the immigrant mindset idea there. Maybe how your parents approached it and maybe if they instilled anything in you and, and how you look at the United States. Yeah, America. I mean, I think that... Well, what's interesting is that America is actually a country filled with immigrants, and most of our ancestors are immigrants. I, I just think that a lot of people are far removed from their families' immigrant stories, so they don't have that immigrant mindset. But, um, yeah, I think, I think immigrants know what it's truly like in other parts of the, of the world, the lack of basic freedoms, the lack of economic opportunity, and whether you're a liberal or conservative, I mean, we really do have it good here. I mean, of course, America's not perfect, and there's things that we want to do to improve it, but um, ultimately, America is, I think, the best place for opportunity in the world, and um, even in the digital age, I think it's easier than ever to start a business and um i think that as a first generation american 
Um, I saw my parents uh, struggle and hustle and their journey. And um, I knew that I wanted to make something um, of myself in this country because of all the opportunities and because of all the things that were possible. Um, I looked up to all sorts of tech entrepreneurs and whatnot. I looked up to my parents and I just knew that um, I wanted to do something and I didn't want to let the American dream go to waste. You know? Yeah, well, uh, that's a great plug, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, that's the way. The reason I titled the book "The American Dream." Well, there's a lot of reasons, but "American Dream" is a terrible thing to waste. As I really yeah. do think, like it is. Yeah. And, and you know, I got to just spend a, an amazing year in Guatemala, and there's a lot of people doing great in Guatemala, but obviously, most of the people in the country are living in poverty. And uh, yeah, and I've been there. And and and, and, yeah. and I think it's a country on the rise still. So it's yeah. not even a that. You know, I think it's. I tell you know, if you look at where did, where is Guatemala fall in the scheme of the whole world, they're probably like right in the middle in terms of like, well, you know, tenor, I think top 10% yeah, of people in Guatemala account. are doing very well. They're doing as well as anybody in the United States. I think sure. maybe the next 20 to 30% are doing pretty well. And then you got that bottom kind of 50-ish percent that are in poverty, that are not yeah, doing well. But I think, you know, when you compare yeah. to a lot of places around the world, I mean, places like Sub-Saharan Africa, places uh, a lot of places in India yeah, and, and places absolutely. in Asia, other places in Asia, even though you know so many people have come out of poverty in places like China, still a lot of people are in poverty. Right? Yeah. So we have so much opportunity, and I just, in some ways, we shouldn't take it for granted. But the other thing is, there's another element to the American economy. You kind of referenced this a little bit. So today, I would say that there's there's a, a number of Americans who maybe rightfully so are seeing jobs disappear. Maybe they're manufacturing jobs. Maybe they've gone overseas. Maybe they've been automated or digitized. Um, so they're seeing, in, in, if you see a factory close in your small town in Pennsylvania or mm -hmm. Ohio or wherever, you literally see jobs disappearing. Maybe your father worked there. Um, maybe he worked there his whole life and now he's just lost his job, right? So there's that element that I think, you know, is, is, is right to recognize and right to say, hey, these jobs, aren't, these jobs aren't here anymore. But something you know, we've talked about and, and you, you referenced is there's a lot more opportunities in the digital economy. We also, like we were, we were just having lunch before this and we were talking about, I was trying to inform him since I'm about 20 years older than him, um, about 20 yeah. years ago, yeah. it was expensive to make a long distance call, like on a landline, which you don't even like, most people don't, I don't have a landline anymore. Nobody had, like, a lot of people don't have landlines anymore. But it's, it was, like, very expensive. And now I can carry around a phone, make a video call. Maybe your parents can make a video call to India. Yeah. They couldn't make right. that call before no, when they got here. Absolutely not. They might have wrote a letter. There wasn't even an email then, right? Yeah. Maybe they were just starting to be email around the time after they got here. But you didn't have, like, a portable computer. Um, nope. We certainly didn't have podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I've got my computer up, my phone up, microphones up. I'm able to, you know, within an hour after putting this together, I could, if I want, upload this to the internet for the whole world to see. Absolutely. We could have been streaming this live on Instagram or TikTok. Yeah, absolutely. The, amount, the massive amount of communications we have now at almost no cost, like very, very little cost, is, is just astounding. And the fact that you're talking about you can open a business online in Florida – you could probably open a business in about 30 minutes. Yes, Sunbiz yeah. or whatever it is. Right? Yeah. Now, you do have to wait for like a, a thing to come by yeah. email in a couple days. and 
But the fact of the matter that you can do this. But the actual work only takes yeah under an hour. Yeah, it's it's really Any really state. amazing. Yeah, really amazing. And you don't have to have a brick and mortar store, right? You can work from anywhere. I could actually work pretty much from anywhere. Yeah. Today, you know, uh, thankfully to our friends here at Strike Cigar Lounge, thanks to Chris Hayes, yeah. particularly the manager here, we were given a podcast studio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. In a sense, right? Um, I mean, I brought in my equipment and things like that, but we have space here. You can always find a space when you need to do something like this. So thank you, Chris. And I'll be patronizing him plenty of times here with, yeah. my, uh, with my habits. Uh, yeah. you know, here. So, uh, but anyway, it's, um, it's, it's, it's really nice uh, to do that. And that, that actually is a testament to relationship building too. You know, I don't know. I, Chris used to work at another cigar lounge. Right. A friend of mine, Bob Rubin, who's mm-hmm. been on this podcast, you know, probably was the first person to invite me to that cigar lounge. He was certainly the first person to invite me here to Strikes. And Bob's a relationship guy too. And he, he met Chris. Yeah. Through Chris. Chris he said, Oh, you gotta meet Francisco. You know, we hit it off. Chris came to the Fearless Journeys launch party when we did that over a year ago in um in Palm Beach. He sh- showed up with cigars. He didn't have to do that. Well, you know what, when you're a relationship guy like Chris People like me want to actually stop going to the cigar lounge you used to work at and start coming to the one that you work yeah. at now. And by the way, huge difference. Like you could see that an agent of innovation like Chris, you know, makes a difference yeah. in a place. He makes Absolutely. you feel welcome home. You're his friend. Francisco, you want to do a podcast? We have a room for you. Right? He actually offered that to me a long time ago. Wow. Never took it up cool. until today. Awesome. And then I like texted him yesterday, like, "Hey, can I use? Can I call it that favor?" Um, but I think that's what happens when you build authentic, genuine relationships. Absolutely. People show up for one another. Yeah. Right? And um, and so I think that's great. So you've created, and and by the way, just moving back to that digital conversation, all those great opportunities the digital environment allows. So every anytime, you know, something becomes digitized, automated, there's certainly things that are lost. This is. I guess you could say both the opportunity and the challenge of capitalism, right? It uh, was, I think it was Joseph Schumpeter, the economist who has this term, creative destruction, Yeah. right? Because when a society no longer does something productively or when they figure out a way to do something more productively, um, that old way gets destroyed. Yeah. And I think the economic term is called structural unemployment there's different types of Mm. unemployment and that type of unemployment is when your skills are no longer needed in the market and other skills are um, needed but yeah i I think overall digitalization capitalism is good for the overall economy because it makes people's lives easier it makes it easier to do business overall yeah and you know like look i know a lot of people will complain about, say, a company like Amazon. Like, oh, Amazon is you know destroying brick-and-mortar stores. Well, in a lot of ways, brick-and-mortar stores are a kind of relic anyway. There are always going to be, we're in a brick-and-mortar cigar lounge right now. What, because there are times that people, I can order cigars online, Yeah. but sometimes I want to come to a cigar lounge and actually hang out with people yeah. in this kind of environment where I can also you know, meet people socially and go somewhere out with my friends rather than just, you know, sitting at home and smoking a cigar by myself. Mm-hmm. That's, there's, there's times for that too, but, but also I might say, hey, I, I, I could buy those cigars and meet at my friend's house. I could buy them online for maybe half the price. Right. 
but it's nice when you can actually go somewhere and yeah. patronize a business when you want to. So there's always going to be a role for brick and mortar. People need to go places. Yeah. But there's also Amazon didn't necessarily destroy the brick and mortar. They're replacing yeah. what people want. And what's interesting though is they also create opportunities. How did you publish this book? Yeah, so I um, self-published. I launched my own uh, publishing company so I could control the copyright and By the way, great control name the process. Of your, uh, company it is Innovation Publishing. Innovation Publishing, yeah, that's the name of the holding company. So basically, um, I figured out that the only advantage of going to a big publisher like you know Harper Collins or you know random penguin house is if you're already a known figure and they're going to give you a big advance otherwise you're going to get maybe a buck or two per book and they're not even going to do any marketing for you anyway and they're going to control almost every aspect of your book and i knew that i could take my skills from web design and book formatting wouldn't be that much different in terms of a skill set i would just need to learn a new software and I learned that new software package from Amazon in like about a day. Um, I made the Word document. Um, I made some um, mistakes in the publishing process that I'm going to fix for this upcoming book. Learn by doing. But exactly, right. And um, yeah, I was able to publish it and put it on Amazon pretty quickly. Yeah, that's amazing. So you just said the magic word, Amazon. Yeah. That's also how I publish my book, right? Yeah. So Amazon right. makes, they're one avenue that makes this possible, but because they're ubiquitous, they're everywhere, um, and just about everybody has an Amazon account, you know, I could put it out there, you could put it out there, you could tell your friends, buy it on Amazon, and in two clicks, by the way, you can go to Amazon right now, in yeah. two clicks, you can buy either of these books um, very fast, and oh, how do they get to you? Like, they're there in like two days. If you have... Prime, it's prime, two days, yeah. Two days, free shipping. If yeah. you don't have Prime, maybe four or five days a week. Two clicks, two days. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to leave the yeah. house. I mean, it's the it's the fact that we live in such a convenient, comfortable uh, society now that was made possible through you know market capitalism. Yeah. You know, and yes, there are things that go away. Yeah. Uh, because of that creative destruction. Yeah. And what was the term? Structural unemployment yeah. or something. Yeah. That's the economic term for it. Yeah. So it's like. Yeah, because th this is how things develop, and then it creates yeah. opportunities Overall, it's for a good young whippersnappers for the like yourself uh, to come along at, tw I mean, you were doing this in high school, uh, 21, you're publishing a book about your entrepreneurial experiences, 23, you're sitting here on your first podcast, the yeah. Agents of Innovation podcast, yeah. and, yep. um, and so it's very exciting. So let's see, we've talked about a lot of things. Um, Ronak, how can people find you? Yeah, so um, Instagram, I post on Instagram um, almost every day. My handle is at Real Ronak Patel, Real, R-O-N-A-K-P-A-T-E-L. Great, and I'm going to put all of this in the show notes, so wherever platform you're listening or watching on, you could go right over to the show notes, and we'll put all of his uh, websites, handles. Uh, the guy makes a lot of great websites out there, <laughs> and pretty fast, pretty slick. He'll work with whatever your brands are. So I think, um, you know, really think about that. And, and he's going into the healthcare field now, mm -hmm. um, going into medical school. And are you still, so you talked to me before about 
you don't just want to be a healthcare professional. Mm-mm. You also want to be a healthcare entrepreneur. Absolutely. So let's look, uh, let's take the last few minutes of this podcast sure. here and look to the future. Okay. The future Dr. Ronak Patel. Yeah. Uh, it's going to take many years to get that title probably. Yeah. Tell me the journey you're going about to embark on and then what maybe medical specialties you're looking at okay. and how you want to maybe run your own business in that area. Yeah, right. So, um, yeah, like I said, I'll be um, I'll be pursuing my medical doctorate and master's in public health. Um, I should be able to get those in six years, so I'll be about 29, and that's when I'll officially be a doctor. And then, By the way, let me pause and say, you know, this is like if life goes smooth and every way that you right. want, we never know how life is going right. to go. But, exactly. But let's let's hope this is his goal. Yeah. Twenty nine. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And then residency. Um, in terms of specialties, um, I did cancer research last summer at Johns Hopkins, and I really enjoyed um, oncology. And I also enjoy like, uh, helps with people with cancer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then I also shadowed a orthopedic surgeon there, which I enjoyed as well. So those are two specialties I'm interested in. Both of those basically require six years of residency, where you're paid a salary, but um, it's government funded, so um, it's not your full earning potential yet. And then after that, um, I'll probably be like 35. That's when, that's when I would want to open up my own practice. And during residency or, or even during med school, I still uh, plan on doing some sort of consulting to healthcare c- companies to sort of bridge medicine and technology and entrepreneurship and even policy and you know see what I. I can do from a consulting perspective at the intersection of all that. Um, that'll sort of keep me in the game of entrepreneurship while also earning um, additional income while I'm a resident. But yeah, um, I definitely want to enter healthcare, but I want to enter it as an entrepreneur. I don't want to work for a mega healthcare corporation. I want to. Um, create change in the healthcare industry because I think there's a a lot of um, need for improvement in terms of prevention focus, in terms of a, you know, better marketing, in terms of better insurance and payment solutions, um, better customer service, better technologies. Um, I think there's a lot of issues that I see as an entrepreneur that um, I could potentially change in that industry. Well, let me tell you, we need some major innovations in all those areas in healthcare. So I hope you are one of the agents of innovation yeah, in, uh, I in hope healthcare so too. to do it. Um, also, I really want to commend you all the relationships you've built with medical professionals, the internships that you did at Johns Hopkins. Um, I mean, you've taken a lot of steps here to to build relationships, learn before you like totally jump into something. Mm-hmm and kind of see it firsthand. I also can tell you have a great entrepreneurial mind for healthcare because did you hear he, he's thinking about two different specialties. One deals with cancer and unfortunately cancer's got a lot of people uh, affected with it and so you're gonna have a lot of business unfortunately yeah. in some ways. Um, but a lot of people that need your help. And then you've also got, uh, you're thinking about orthopedic surgery. Mm-hmm. 
And let me tell you, um, I think my dad can tell you, and a lot of other yeah, people that are eating. A lot of people are uh, South Florida down here could, lose, could use a lot of orthopedic surgeons. It's a need. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, whatever, whatever, backs, knees, whatever, all sorts of joints, right? Um, so, so you're, you, you're picking two fields here where you're probably going to uh, do well in, um, no matter which area you go to. But also, I want to mention, um, you know, so you're also a graduate of Penn State University, mm-hmm. uh, and. Also, in addition to some of the internships and things, I remember when I was going to Guatemala, and I can't believe it took us to the very end of the interview to get yeah. this, that you've been to Guatemala. Yeah, I have. And, and what did you, when did you go? How many okay. times? And, and, and what did you do there? Okay. Um, yeah, I've only been there once. It was for about a week. It was January of uh, 2000, 2021, I want to say. And, um, yeah, January of 2021. And the reason I was there is... So it was um, right before I moved there. Yeah, pr- probably. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think so. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, yeah. In March of 2021. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So the reason I was there is um, I was doing a medical mission trip through the nonprofit organization, Global Brigades. Amazing what are they organization. Called? Global Brigades. Global Brigade. Global Brigades. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And basically, they set up. Um, and they don't just do healthcare stuff. They do economic empowerment. They set up legal clinics. They set up uh, banking systems. Wow. But the first thing they usually focus, yeah. So it's a very holistic model, which I really appreciate. It, it especially as a person that um, appreciates the economic and policy side of things too. But the first things that they do is they work on public health systems and basic healthcare, and then they um, go on to things like um, economic development, legal empowerment, um, empowerment, and so on. So um, yeah, I did a mission trip, and mine was focused on healthcare. So for three days, we set up clinics in rural parts where we um, checked people's blood pressures, vitals, and glucose levels. Um, the biggest things people were diagnosed with, um, similar to here, is um, hypertension and type 2 diabetes. So we were able to prescribe medication to them and give them the medical care that they need, um, as well as the public health education as well. And um, two days before the Two days before that, um, the interesting part about that brigade for me was that it was the first time the organization was actually doing a mission trip in that country. So we were sort of like the guinea pigs and we got to do a lot of um, different public health stuff and whatnot. And I remember the two days leading up to the clinic, we actually visited where people lived and surveyed like the architecture, the stoves, the water systems to like really get a sense of like how these people are living and how these like dangerous fumes and maybe unhealthy water that might have parasites in it can affect their um, healthcare needs. So I thought that was a really cool experience. That's awesome. Well, uh, do you remember where in Guatemala you were? Yeah, so Tecpan Chamal. Altenango? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I haven't been there specifically, but I've heard a lot about it. So, um, yeah, so that's really great. And the other thing I really liked in that 
with with global brigades does mm-hmm. is they they look at the whole public health care like as a system mm-hmm. you know i can't remember the exact episode 98 99 mm-hmm. somewhere around there i had a, a man named dr tom fame you need to cool. read his books and connect with him he's yeah. in roanoke virginia cool we still haven't met in person we did the podcast over zoom yeah but he for the last 25 30 years has gone to haiti wow at the first time he went well he's a doctor Mm-hmm. And the first time he went was with some group, and you know they just needed him, and he was just in the doctor's office all day because when you bring a doctor to Haiti, like the line is down the street right. every day. Yeah, yeah, of course. And he didn't even get to experience the country, so he went back, experienced the country, then has gone back like like fifty times in twenty five years, something ridiculous. Um, I read his book that he put out a few years back, but one of the things he realized very early, he was like. Um, Okay, when we're bringing a doctor like me in for like a day, we're, we're like solving a few people's problems like that day. There's a massive, bigger right. problem that needs it's to be like solved. It's like what's causing those issues yeah, to so begin he, with. He, he said before, before I, 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 I donate money or ask people from the United States to throw all this money into Haiti, mm-hmm. I, we need to figure out the systemic problem here. And I love so that. It's, it's an amazing uh, conversation we had. Um, you know, it's interesting. We had that conversation shortly before Haiti just really plummeted in the last year or so into some really even darker times. So hopefully things will, will reemerge. But he he was specifically tied to a particular village in Haiti, a particular wow, people, I love that. a particular church, a particular, and they built a healthcare system and an education area. And it was really great. And they, they actually built a system so that people themselves could have an educational communications mm-hmm. uh, between the different neighbors in the community so cool a lot of so i really like that global brigade seems to be taking a similar approach yeah and everything that you're doing and oh my gosh this we just had this hour plus podcast with a 23 year old (laughs) uh i've had a few people around his age on that just continue to impress me but to think about all the things he's done you could buy ronak's book generation startup become the ceo of your life you're working on another book Mm -hmm. already uh, I gotta keep up with you, Ronak. Uh-huh. I mean, I got a book here, but I gotta keep up with you. Uh-huh. I'm a little older. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, can you? Wait, let's close this podcast. Could you just some parting advice, maybe for people your age, maybe any age, whatever, uh, on anything if they're looking to become the CEO of their life? Sure. Maybe this has to do with entrepreneurship. Maybe it's even broader. But what would be some of your biggest advice to them? Yeah, I think my parting advice would be, you know, you, you know, you're living this life most likely in this country. You have these opportunities around you. I think if you want to live a life with purpose, you should try to do something that you enjoy and do it around people that you enjoy working with. And um, I also think a lot of people spend time um, overthinking and th- and thinking about all the different possibilities that they could be doing. Um, and I would say to those people, just execute, try something. You're always able to um, pivot and adapt. But um, I think just doing what you really enjoy and taking action will help you lead a, a more purposeful life. Well, I don't know if this man's read my introduction yet, but that's one of the number one things I think entrepreneurs do is they are people of action. And as somebody told me 
you know, one of the reasons I even named this book The American Dream mm-hmm. is a Terrible Thing to Waste. Somebody sent me an email. The, the story's in the conclusion. And they said, Francisco, I was thinking about you this weekend, and I was thinking about how a dream is a terrible thing to waste. And I put my head down on the table, and I said, that's it. I'm going to start this business, Fearless Journeys, is where I went. Um, but I thought about, when I was thinking about writing this book, somebody mm-hmm. heard me tell that story to them about what my friend Neil Freeman had sent to me in that email, a dream is a terrible thing to waste. And, then, and this was my friend Tom Gatins, who lives in Tampa. Right. And Tom said, I think you have the title of your book. I said, what's that? That email that Neil sent you, a dream is a terrible thing to waste. And I said, I like that. You know why I like that? Because a dream is only a dream and, and unless you take action. If you don't take action, it merely remains a dream. And you just ended this with, you got to take action. You got to execute. Just, just go do things, and things yeah. will. You'll, you'll figure out what you maybe don't want to do, and you'll figure out exactly maybe what you're good at. And yeah, you'll lead figure you. it out as you go. Yeah, and so that's amazing. So you are still figuring it out as you go. Absolutely, you're only 23, but you've. I don't think I'll lot. ever stop. Yeah, you've I don't a think lot I'll of ever stop. Out, and you've done a lot of incredible things uh, so far. So, um, Ronak, I want to thank you for being an agent yeah. of innovation. And thanks, thanks for, for having me on the Agent of Innovation yeah. podcast. Um, I also want to remind our listeners and viewers, remember you could watch us on YouTube if you're just listening. Maybe you already got through it. Um, but go to YouTube and subscribe for the next one. Also, make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're listening or watching on. Uh, comment. Let us know what you think about Ronak's story, uh, what you think about my line of questioning. Maybe I need to shut up and let the, the guests talk a little bit more. Whatever you want to tell me, tell me. Yeah. Uh, but make sure you rate it, share it, subscribe to it, and, and do all those fun things that, that we got to do to boost the ratings and, and get Ronak's story and the story of all the different other agents of innovation like him out to more people. So thank you again, Ronak, for being on the yeah. Agents of Innovation. Thanks for having Podcast. me. I appreciate it.